Good morning or good afternoon or good evening. Whatever time it is, we just want to welcome you today to the Colin and Samir Show. Salutations. Welcome to this episode of Creator Support. This is the show where... Still working on the tagline, yeah. but it's kind of self-explanatory. It's uh, you guys ask us questions, we give you answers. On today's episode, we are going to talk about Instagram. If it's still a place you should upload content. We're also going to talk about how to hire as a creator when you want to hire an agent. And we're also going to dive deep into one of the channels from our listeners who's trying to attract more brand deals, but feels like they're not attracting the right brands. Now, I just want to ask a quick favor before we get into the show. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you could review the show, that would be awesome. We're up to 733 reviews on Spotify, almost all five stars. But feel free to review it however you think. If this is a three-star experience for you, Smear, let, us, let us know. Cut the three-star stuff. I'm just saying, just let us know if it is, but hopefully it's a five-star experience. <laughs> yeah. I got a little bit demanding there. If it's three stars, if you truly feel that way. Then put five stars. Then put right. five stars. Here we go. Thank you. All right, let's jump right into the first question from Melina. She asked, I believe Instagram as an artist isn't friendly anymore due to its algorithm being so specific. It isn't doable for small stores, et cetera. But that is how it is. And then she asked what the best time is to post on Instagram. I just want to take the first part of that because that feels like it's been a relevant conversation recently saying Instagram isn't friendly anymore due to its algorithm. I'm seeing a lot of people post on Instagram about having a hard time reaching their followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I think Instagram might be a platform in crisis. I kind of agree. I, it just doesn't feel like a creator platform. Like as the creator economy has emerged and become more of a topic of conversation, of, a, of something that platforms are supporting, Instagram, which was a massive part of this, just feels like it didn't catch up. It didn't play well. It's there's Instagram has never really collaborated with creators when it comes to monetization support on audience growth. Like it just, something has always been off about it. That's something that Hank Green brought up recently in a pretty viral TikTok and a pretty heated TikTok uh, about the fact that Instagram does not share its revenue with creators. You know, they made $20 billion. We'll let, we'll let Hank. Let's let Hank say it. Say it. The creator economy is incredibly important to Instagram. Creators are incredibly important to Instagram. But one of the challenging things that we need to solve as an industry is how to help creators make a living doing what they love. I'm sorry, I do not want to get super snarky on you because I got friends who work at Instagram, but oh my God, shut the f*** up. In 2020, Instagram made $24 billion and all that money, all of it was made on advertisements placed in between pieces of content on your app. It sounds like when you're pitching NFTs for Instagram that you haven't figured out yet how to monetize creators' content, but you make $20 billion a year doing that. This sounds really tough, man. It sounds like you're trying to figure out a really tough nut to crack, which is how to help creators make a living doing what they love without sharing any of the $24 billion a year that you make. That just sounds tough. Hank's perspective there is, is actually like really important for everyone to think about and look at, especially like from a creator to platform relationship. Like Adam Masseri is talking about trying to find ways to support creators. And I know there's gotta be a lot of complications 
in how to pay out creators. But it is interesting that over all this time, like Instagram's making 20 plus billion dollars and there's not really a clear way for creators to make money. Like it is an advertising platform, not so different from YouTube, but of course there's some nuance there, but I thought Hank Green's vibe was pretty rock and roll there. Yeah, he, uh, he goes right after him. And I think it's valid. Why I also think a lot of creators are experiencing a hard time right now on Instagram is most likely because of the competition that Instagram has been facing from TikTok. So TikTok is a non-follower graph algorithm where it's not about how many people you have following you. It's about the quality of the videos you're making. The For You page on TikTok is what drives the platform. The best stuff gets surfaced, not necessarily the stuff from people who have the biggest audiences. So to compete with TikTok, and I'm making assumptions here, but I would imagine that as Instagram in an effort to compete is pushing reels, they also now have to move slightly away from the follower graph. They Mm. can't just serve what they would deem now bad content photos to followers when what they want is really engaging vertical video. I've also found myself just less interested in Instagram. And maybe it's because of that. Maybe because I've become so used to how good platforms are at suggesting content to me but it's just generally less interesting and even less exciting to post on Instagram. And maybe some of this is also Facebook or now Meta really committing to the next chapter of of the metaverse and just looking at Instagram and being like that was cool, you know? I don't know, that's that that's a pretty, you know, hot take from me. Which I don't know if you can deem your own take hot, but I just did. Okay. It. Um but I don't know. I don't know that Instagram just to answer your question Melina I don't know if there's a best time to upload on TikTok or Instagram. You know, I don't think I can tell you when you should upload. I like to upload content in the mornings. I think that's always helpful. But like, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's just probably right now, Instagram, if it's not giving you the return on the investment of time or or the content that you're producing, start to think about other platforms. I would also say that if you know, the CEO of Instagram, Adam Masseri is asking people to post reels, which he did in a video saying like, we're really trying to encourage you to post reels. I don't know if he asked people, but he was basically just brought it up and was like, this is the, the, this is what's important for Instagram right now. It's worth listening and posting some reels. If you're trying to find more viewership on, on the platform. And I think for all platforms, it's really important to take a look at how you are compensating and creating a relationship with creators. Also, because as we see with Hank Green, like creators listen to other creators. And I think that's a really important thing to think about as a platform of, of how you are treating your creator relations. Cause creators have megaphones. Like if they aren't happy, it's going to be pretty loud. Now I think some of this plays into a headline that, that came out today which was that Netflix is laying off 150 employees after their subscriber numbers have dipped and they've had slow earnings. And this is a part of every week we're kind of hearing about new layoffs in entertainment and technology and even in the creator economy. And I think these two things are connected in that a lot of college graduates, a lot of young people are going to turn to being creators because it's tough to trust now 
in this era that we're entering into, like the stability of working at a job that you don't have much control over, um, whereas you could build income sources where you control the levers. And the creator economy is one of those income sources right now. So I'm curious how these two things are going to play together around like how creators are entering in, selecting their platforms and almost choosing a job, quote unquote, as like a YouTuber or as a creator versus going to work at a company, especially if you're a creative. Interesting. I didn't look at that Netflix headline and think that would dissuade people from wanting to work at a company. Yeah. It felt like a very minor amount of employees. I think for me, when I read that headline, I just thought about how much competition there is now in content. for attention. Yeah. Yeah. And there's competition from subscription platforms like Netflix. You know, we've all been talking about severance Yeah, from Apple TV, Yep, HBO max. We watched winning time. There's so many other options now, let alone you've got YouTube creators, you have, you know, social platforms. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just so much competition for what's good right now. Agreed. This question comes from Pat Kavanaugh. He said, should YouTubers starting a channel batch a couple of videos before posting or just post the first video they create? Hmm. That's a hard, that's actually a really hard question when it's your first video because you don't want to hold content too sacred at that time because you need feedback from the audience. So I would say if it's your first video, I would batch two to three, but no more than that, because you want to put it out and gauge the audience feedback before you go too far into investing in the content. You need to know how the content's going to perform, how the audience is going to react, how the platform is going to react. You have to go through like a research and development phase and a testing product phase to find the fit. So I think in the beginning, you need to actually be much more nimble and be able to put out more content in a sustainable way. Yeah, I would recommend finding a format that you don't have to batch. Yeah. Because a lot of creators, us included, end up in a format that is sustainable. Mm-hmm. We all want to make more intricate things, but you know, at the end of the day, to have longevity in the career, you need to find something that you can commit to every week, every other week. And over time, once you find that format, batching is really helpful. Even if batching means getting two episodes ahead, it's extremely helpful. Like for us, anytime we found ourselves week to week, if you've been listening to our creator support episodes, you hear us talking about us struggling to keep up with our upload schedule at times. And that's when we are week to week. So batching production really helps us get ahead. So I would recommend when you're first starting out, work on formats that can be done regularly. And then over time, you can explore batching. One thing we were talking about in the office today was Van Neistat. Mm -hmm. He has two formats that he's experimenting with on his channel right now. One is a seven minute video essay format. One is more longer form him just talking about a topic or telling a story. The longer form ones, which are easier to put together, where the thumbnail is super simple. It's just a photo of him at his mic and what he's talking about. Both of those have gone above 100,000 views Mm. in the last two weeks. The video essays, which are half the length, the thumbnails are more intricate and the edits are more intricate, have done half the viewership. Right. So I think like you want to be able to experiment and sort of pull that lever of like high lift, low lift, high lift and low lift to see what actually works. Because if it's the low lift thing that works, you're in a great position. I totally agree with that. This is from Alex Fredericks. He says, I just took 
on management of a very notable and up-and-coming combat sports athlete, Andrew Wilstie. He's ranked number sixth uh, middleweight jiu-jitsu fighter in the world and is well-known in the jiu-jitsu community. Andrew's story is really interesting. He's a wizard warrior character. His own channel is growing nicely. It has 33,000 subscribers and counting, wondering how you would strategize growing his channel. So Alex, I actually took a look at the channel and this is kind of my take on how you, you approach a channel like this. I think it's either going to be something that feels personal, uh, experiential, you know, what is the day-to-day life of the number six ranked middleweight jujitsu fighter? How are they training, uh, making them feel very like sensational and, and badass. Um, the other angle there I think is pure instruction. Like thinking about who is the audience for this athlete is the audience young jujitsu people, fighters. How do you, what's the term? Jujitsu, jujitsu. You're on your own. Okay. All right. Yeah. Is it young people aspiring to become better at jujitsu or is it fans of Andrew? And I think that distinction will help you decide how you want to grow and also what your metrics of success will look like. You can grow a killer instructional content library that then uh, like allows itself to go into academy and courses. And I'm sure he does a ton of uh, instruction. It's like that just builds his brand as an instructional, um, you know, I'm going to use a karate term sensei. I know that's not the term for jujitsu, but I had a sensei when I was younger in my dojo. So, or on the other side, it's like, here's this awesome fighter. I want to go see him fight. I would start with Tutorials. I mean, I can see that yeah. you've already been doing them on the channel. Keep going with tutorials. And then you can also layer in personality and story for people who are there just as true fans. I think that can be a double narrative to some of these tutorials. Just the personality. Can we, uh, we should acknowledge, right, the elephant in the room right now. I don't see an elephant. That I have the most viewed lacrosse shooting instructional video on okay. YouTube. Okay. Yeah, that was the elephant in the room. You're right. I didn't. <laughs> everyone I can't believe I didn't, everyone, I can't believe I didn't notice it. Everyone here was thinking it. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, everyone was thinking it, but I'll just go out and say it. Uh, that's actually how we started our first channel. It was called the Lacrosse Network. You know, one of the the um, most searched terms on YouTube is how to. So exploring, can you build a library of content based on how to to introduce people to Andrew or, you know, cultivate this community around him as an instructor. How many views do you think that video has from nine years ago? How to shoot a lacrosse ball? 430,000 views. Elephant's not as big as you thought. Uh, 345,000. Oh no. Everyone go watch it so we can get to 430. (laughs) That's so embarrassing that I thought it was way bigger than it was. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. It's really good. Moving on. Um, I do want to talk about this with like the concept of instruction and um, explore something that we covered in the published press this week, which was Ali Abdal. Ali Abdal is a creator who dives into kind of, you know, personal finance, uh, entrepreneurship, and has a history of starting his YouTube channel while he was in med school and, and you know, tracking himself as a doctor who completely left medicine because his media empire that he's built based off YouTube is growing so much. He put out a video that's 42 minutes long. I would highly recommend it um, on his channel that explores where he's going with his business and his goals and the challenges. And the goal that he 
you know, sets forth to everyone is that he wants to make $6 million, 6.2 million US dollars, 5 million pounds um, this year with his businesses, with his various businesses. And 60% of that income is going to come from his cohort-based courses called Part-Time YouTuber Academy. And in that video, he also talks about the fact that Part-Time YouTuber Academy was somewhat of an accident. Like he, he, he did a cohort-based course and then that really took off into becoming the, the lion's share of his revenue and, and moving to be a big business for him. So I, I just first to talk to, you know, Alex, who asked the question about um, Andrew, it's like instruction could be the path here as you explore how you want to build a business around Andrew. And then secondarily, talking about talking about Ali Abdal and exploring like these accidental businesses that creators land on. I think it's a really interesting topic to discuss here. The accidental business? Yeah. The accidental business is is actually so much like of what you talk about around how we are audience first and product second. Meaning a typical entrepreneur develops a product. They're like, I made this cool wallet. Now I got to go find customers for this wallet. What ends up happening with YouTube creators is we build an audience and those are our customers. So we have a ton of customers, but not a lot of products yet. And then you introduce a product and you have no idea what's going to happen. And just so happens that like you come up with an idea to make a course and then that becomes your business. Yeah. I mean, when I'm reading the published press right now, the one thing that just sticks out to me is that his courses start at $1,495. Yeah. So I think that to me sets him apart from everyone else in education. You look at Creator Now, you look at uh, Nas Academy, the price points for those courses about how to be a YouTube creator are nowhere near $1,495. And by setting a price like that, I think it sets an expectation of the type of experience you're going to get and the type of person who's going to actually buy that. I think that price, though, is dictated by the people who are watching his content. Other people in med school, other people who are in maybe law school or other places who are like inspired by someone who's in med school making a YouTube channel. And then over time, talking about entrepreneurship, talking about the books he's reading, talking about his notion templates, he's speaking to a high price point clientele. Yes. And he also has courses on Skillshare, which make up Mm -hmm. 20%, which he hopes make up 20% of his revenue. So he's also speaking to people at a lower price point. And he has an option for them too. Mm-hmm. So that to me is it, fascinating. It spans his audience. But I think what's really interesting is you build an audience and then you find products to fit in to your different audience segments. And what he talks about a bit in there is like around hiring and team building and trying to decide how big he wants part-time YouTuber Academy to be in his business. Like how much of his business does he want it to be? Because he didn't plan. That wasn't his his grand plan. So I think that's like a really fascinating part about being a creator and something to understand is that you first start by building the audience and then you build the products for them. And Ali, I think is a great example. I would recommend everyone check out that video. It's like 42 minutes on creator business. That's feels like you're getting like a free MBA. Yeah. I mean, I think the key there is that sometimes you don't know what your audience is going to want and you just got to listen to them. In the comments, the video we have coming out about Simone Yetch, mm-hmm. the Swedish inventor and YouTuber, she ends up talking about that in some of her videos, how 
you know, she's now selling products. But a lot of the impetus for that too came from the comments she got of people saying, can I please buy what you're making in your videos? Mm -hmm. So, and now, now they can. Well, I think I would just pose this to people listening right now. What would you want from us? We've been talking a lot about different products to create courses being one of them, writing a book being another one. I'm just out of curiosity, like hearing from the audience, what do you feel like you want more of from us and that you would want to, you know, interact with? All right. Here's an interesting question from Greta about hiring. How have you hired employees? What advice do you have for finding the right people? And are there red or green flags that you look for in the process? First of all, to take a step back, very in line with what we we're just talking about, about how creators are building, you know, companies and having to build out teams to handle these projects that turn into <laughs> massive projects. Um, hiring is going to become one of the most important pieces that I think distinguishes between the people who are going to build companies in the creator economy and those who won't. And I think in line with what we're talking about around the Netflix layoffs and potential, you know, decrease in uh, job opportunities in the traditional entertainment industry, I think there's going to be an increase in job opportunities in the creator economy. But when it comes down to how to hire, yeah, we now are fortunate to have a group of people who do things better than we can do ourselves. Like Chris does graphics. Mm-hmm. And many things better than, than I could do on the production side. Jesse knows audio and sound to a greater degree. Marilyn, who's sitting with us right now, yep. can organize and structure things and outline episodes much better, definitely, than I could. Right? So I feel like that's been a key for us when it comes to hiring, is like really finding like multifaceted people. MKBHD talks about that, too. For when you're a company, a creator company that's starting out, you have to hire people that can do all types of things because the reality is our schedules are so flexible and the problems that we face on any given day are, are different from the day before. There's two ways we found our employees. And I think that's a really important thing to, to look at. One is from our audience and mm-hmm. two is from word of mouth. The third bucket, which has been very minimal for us and it hasn't been led by Colin or I is like a traditional job description, job application process. That's how we've hired our, our three employees, but, or, or I mean the three ways we've hired our employees, not our three employees. But, um, so if you're hiring from your audience, that can give you a huge upper hand because those people intimately understand what you're creating and know how to help you create that and probably have a vision for how they want your content to look. The challenge there is if you hire someone who's a fan not just from your audience, you hire someone who's a fan, they might not be willing to push back or have a professional relationship with you. So hiring from your community is fantastic, but you have to be cautious with that. Uh, The other side is word of mouth. I think that's one of the most promising ways to hire. One of our editors here, uh, we hired because he worked with Matt Diavella. And uh, that's another creator who we're really close with. And that immediately gives you proof and like an understanding of, the type of person they are and that they're probably a good person to work with. And that example specifically, not only did he work with Matt Diavella, but he worked on Matt Diavella's podcast, video podcast. Right, right. And we needed someone to step in quickly Mm -hmm. on our video podcast. Right. And so that was a perfect fit. Yeah. And then, you know, the other process of job application, I would 
urge everyone who's hiring to look first at culture fit. That's number one. Am I going to want to work with this person? And the second thing I think you have to really look at and understand is the investment in time to get them up to speed. I think that is a very foreign concept in our industry because things are moving so fast. We need to, by the time someone joins the team, it's like they're on a bullet train, right? Like they jump on a train that's moving fast and we are probably in the middle of a week trying to get our next upload going. If someone joined the team today, it would be insane, right? Like we'd be like the amount of things we are doing this week, we don't have time to sit with you and, and have, and train you. You kind of have to just be along for this ride, which I think makes the learning curve six to nine months to be a part of a creator company until you actually can operate on your own. Yeah. And you have to get to a point where you're making a lot of decisions on your own, because the tough thing is that, you know, if someone were to join this week, this week's going to look very different from next week, yeah. which is going to look very different from the week after that. So it's not like, at least for us, you could sink into a routine and start making tons of decisions based off of what happened last week, Mm -hmm. which I think makes the learning curve a lot longer. It makes it longer. And also, like you mentioned, like the time of the creator who ends up becoming the manager is very limited. And so you don't have that manager employee relationship unless, again, referring back to Ali's episode, go look at his org chart, the way he's structured. And you can only do that when you're making that type of money. But he has really structured himself to be out of management. And I think that's a, that's a key piece of doing this. I think it was the Yes Theory guys who said, hire the person who can do the hiring. Yes. All right. This question comes from Sam. We've built a following of over 625,000 people on social. Congrats, Sam. That's, that's big. Uh, and we have been very hesitant to take on brand deals. If it doesn't fit our brand, we won't do it. We say no to nine out of 10 that come our way just so that we can retain that trust that we've built. We've just invested over $275,000 into a new studio space where our media business and our food brand will live. This has added pressure to increase our revenue and we are considering an agent so that we can get more deals that make sense and increase the value of the brand deals that we're doing. How do we know if it's the right time to take on an agent or if we do, what are the variables that are important? What's a good percentage, length of contract, et cetera? Great question, Sam. I would say in terms of the brand deals and saying no to nine out of 10 of them, if you don't have the time to look for the right brands, that's when I think it would make sense to have an agent or have someone else selling. Because to say no to nine out of 10 just means that, you know, the, the wrong people are interested potentially and that there's, you're not reaching the brands that yeah, would be interested. Your right? funnel is like your top of funnel isn't right. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, I would assume maybe you have an email attached to your channel and random things are just coming through that aren't specific to you, but you want to find the brands that are specifically excited about the audience that you have, because that's when your rates will go up and when your audience won't see it as inauthentic. Yeah. I think you need to make a list of brands you would say yes to that's first. And then either you're going to go and knock on those doors or email those people to try and get in front of them with a, with a media kit. Um, or you're going to, hand that list over to an agent or a seller and say, can you find me contacts at this brand? So that all comes down to the variable of time. Do you have the time to build the right media kit? Do you have the time to go storytell to these brands? If the answer is yes, then it, it's, it's, you could probably do it. 
If the answer is no, you don't have the time to do that, or you don't have the relationships to do that, then the answer is probably signing with an agent. Um, agents operate different from managers. So a lot of agents were looking at, you know, 10 that can scale all the way up to 20%. Uh, obviously you want to get on the lower end of that, especially if you're a company with expenses, you're not just talent. That means that you can't take more than 10% off the top probably. So, you know, you're also going to have legal fees when it comes to brand deals. So I would factor those in, but it all comes down to time. And before that time, dive really deep into understanding who these brands are and what's the story you want to tell them. Are you aligned with these brands? What can they buy? Yeah, that's that's a really important part of it. I'm currently looking at the Instagram account. I did some digging. Okay. All right. Here we go. For Crove Food Co. Okay. Beautiful videos. Great. Uh, recipes, putting food together. A lot of knives, I'm seeing. Mm. What about... Babish. Babish. Creator to creator integration. C to C. Yeah. Creator to creator. Yeah. I love that. Also, like, maybe, you know, if you're doing really killer uh, episodes, I don't know. Is this, this, I don't think this is Crow Food. Is this the right one? Because it's 5.7 thousand subscribers. Yeah. On Instagram, 57,000. On TikTok, 575,000. I see. Okay. So it's spanning across all of them. Yep. Okay. So... YouTube brand deals are very different from TikTok brand deals are very different from Instagram brand deals. True. That's a really important thing. <laughs> Prices, in my experience, are much higher on YouTube brand deals than TikTok brand deals, significantly higher depending on how many people are following you. Instagram, people have found a lot of success, but our experience, everything, all the advice we just gave you has to do with YouTube. Uh, I don't really know exactly the TikTok brand deal world, but I would assume it's the same. If there are specific agents or specific integration companies, uh, hit them up. Space Station Integrations is a great company to reach out to. Um, and in my experience, I would say start by working with someone. Don't, you know, I don't think you'll need to sign a contract. You won't need to be exclusive, but just start calling people and saying, I make this type of content. I'm looking for brands in the food space. Do you have any brands I could work with? Also, Grove Food Co. Your last YouTube upload was four months ago and it was a short and it has 81,000 views. The nearest long form video has 28,000. I would recommend taking a lot of your TikToks or your reels and uploading them to YouTube shorts mm -hmm. because your most recent one has 81,000 views. And it looks like when you started posting shorts, your long form videos started to do better. Get those subscribers up, take. gather audience on YouTube using shorts and then serve them the long form videos. I would love to be on, cr on a crew for a cooking creator. Cause I imagine like you get to just try everything they make. Yeah. But you probably also have to wait all the way until the end, mm. which is unfortunate. Yeah. That's you unfortunate. Know. Okay. Uh, Daniel says, hello from Peru. Hello, Daniel. I make productivity videos and I'm struggling to record original B roll footage. Do you recommend using stock footage? In other words, does stock footage Affect audience retention. Yes. Love your content. Thanks, Daniel. We've used stock footage a lot. Yeah. I think you just have to have good stock footage. Yeah. It just has to tell the right story. Yeah. Storyblocks is a great place to find that. They've been a sponsor of ours for a long time. I would check out Storyblocks. Um, it fit really well for us and still does fit well when, especially when we're making more video essay style videos where we're pulling sources from all over the internet. Yeah. I think if you're making a narrative or something like in a location where it's very clear where all the footage is shot, then it's hard to cut to something that's stock. Yeah, I agree with that. 
All right. Question from Bridget. Bridget said in a recent creator support podcast, I think you said you would answer a question about how difficult it can be to film yourself, but you never did. I would love to hear your take on how to speak to the camera as I keep doing draft takes and dread sorting through these clips of me starting and stopping. Ooh. Okay. First, from someone who has many times been extremely uncomfortable on camera and still at times is, I would recommend having a really good idea of who you're speaking to because, and what you want to make them feel. Because now I have a lot more comfort when we're on camera knowing that we're speaking to creators, aspiring creators, people in the creator industry, and we're trying to make them feel more educated and empowered. I can sort of sink into their perception of me and what they're looking to get out of the video. But I think when you make something and you don't know who you're making it necessarily for or why you're making it, that's when you come off a little bit, or I at least would come off less confident, and I think the audience can tell. Yeah. I think that all like some summed up for me, like it's about developing a relationship with your lens. And I remember every, you know, like it, or I, what I remember is when we started our first channel with TLN, it took us a really long time to develop a relationship with the lens, but that lens had a completely different relationship than the lens we have now. And there's been so many different relationships. And that's a lot of why even a seasoned creator someone who's been making content for 10 years, who's been on camera for 10 years, someone else shows up and throws a camera in their face. They're going to be somewhat comfortable on camera, but they, they're going to not be exactly themselves. And that's because you develop this relationship over time with the lens. So I would say, I know you dread watching yourself go, Hey guys, in today's, Hey guys, in today's video, Hey guys, in today's video, Hey guys, into, I'm not going to do any more. That's the last one. But um, what's up, Colin and Samir yeah. Squad? <laughs> but it is a it's a weird experience because uh, you are filming yourself and then putting a card in a computer, watching yourself, and then editing yourself to be like, was that the best take or was this the best take? Yesterday we were watching a cutback of one of our episodes, and I was wearing the exact same outfit mm. in person as I was in the video, right. staring at myself, right. The exact version of myself. Right. Strange. It's, it's very weird. It's very weird. So um, the long, there's a long way of saying it's going to take time for you to develop a relationship with the, with the lens. And a lot of that has to do with who's on the other side of it. Who's the audience that you're talking to? Get comfortable with that. Develop that relationship. And just that's going to happen through repetition. Do it over and over again. Like even try it if you're not going to upload a video, just like try talking to the camera, try getting more comfortable. And over time, it'll happen. And the great thing for me, as well as for ZHC, who we interviewed most recently, that's our most recent upload, is that sort of trying to become or present this, this better version of ourselves on YouTube has translated into real life. Like because I have more practice at just, speaking and explaining myself, having conversation, I'm now able to perform better just in like real life conversations. Right. right. How about our Reddit, Colin? I love our Reddit. Our Reddit is, is hot. But our Reddit makes me want to have a Discord or something. Yeah. Should we have a Discord? I feel like it'd be really fun to have a Discord. It'd be fun to just talk to people about our episodes and talk about what they want to see, talk about thumbnails, like talk about what's coming. 
uh, I think that'd be pretty interesting. So just to give you all an example of what's happening in our Reddit yeah. right now, sure. one of the hottest threads is, are you more a Colin or a Samir? 18 comments. I don't know what people mean by this. What, like Patty Baba said, I'm a Samir, but it's funny now that I realized throughout my university, all my project partners were a Colin. I could have never functioned with another Samir. How do people know what we're like? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it says here in the thread, the person who posted it. Oh, oh, I see. Samir seems pretty extroverted. Colin's introverted. Yeah. Samir, comfortable in any social situation, full of energy, hyper-focused on the business side. Colin, a little more chilled, quiet, creative, focused. Oh, they kind of nailed us to wow. a T here. Yeah. Interesting that I'm focused. You are focused. I know, and you're not as focused. Wow, that doesn't say that. You, you just said that. No, but I think it's wow. implied that I'm focused. Creative focused. Okay. But you run around like with a lot of energy. You know, tell me more from thing to thing. I'm just reading off the Reddit guys. Okay. Okay. All right. Go check out the Reddit. It's controversial. (laughs) I like this one. I'm also a Colin. Maybe the subreddit is full of Collins. We need some more Samir's. (laughs) Same. Are there only Collins here? (laughs) It's like, oh no, I'm surrounded by Collins. (laughs) I'm surprised they're all talking for how introverted they are. Yeah, exactly. Me too. God, this Reddit is awesome. Um, so thank you to everyone who's joined the Reddit. Please hop into some of these threads. There's some really good stuff in here. Here's a question for me. Dear Samir, I love creating content on cool things that are happening in science and explaining them in a fun way. I'm trying to take on short form content, but how do I make it without putting way too much information and scaring the viewer away? P.S. High school senior watching from India for over three years now. How about that? That is awesome. Um, I love that. I would just boil it down to like the one fact that's really interesting. And what's most visual too is something really visual when it comes to science. Like think about Mark Rober or Nick, Nick Juhas. Like they figured out elephant toothpaste, that, that experiment where a bunch of colorful foam comes out of a beaker, that that was the most interesting way to showcase science. They didn't overwhelm everyone with what's happening before they showed the amazing visual of it. So it's like, boom, there's a great visual. And then if you want, you can explain what's happening, but try and keep it brief. Because really what's exciting is like, whoa, I just show me science. Maybe don't tell me science. I also think if you just have a good hook, if you can make it interesting in those first three to five seconds, then I don't really mind if there's a lot of information coming my way. But the incentive has to be there from the start. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I'm just very excited to see two platforms for me that have been very exciting. Reddit and LinkedIn. What's happening on LinkedIn? What do you got? My LinkedIn's just popping, man. You're a big time LinkedIn influencer these days. I'm, I'm pushing towards 10,000 followers on LinkedIn oh, right now. I have now. 14 messages I need to tend to. Everyone message Colin. He messages back really fast. Okay. Well, yeah. But check us I'm both out the on best LinkedIn. That I can. Uh, you can ask us questions on this Reddit. You can ask us questions on LinkedIn. We'll start pulling questions from uh, different places. But the primary place where we pull them from is through our creator support form that you can find in the publish press, our newsletter. So make sure to subscribe to the published press. Uh, also review the show if you haven't already. And if you, if somehow you're listening to this and you aren't a subscriber to our YouTube channel, that would really be something. That would be something. That'd be amazing. It's possible, but it'd be great if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel and help us get to a million subs. Colin, any gripes? Oh yeah. Well, you know, one gripe was that last episode, we didn't have any gripes and this episode was low on gripes. I got, I got a gripe that there's no gripes. This is the only gripe. Yeah, I got a gripe. Okay. Um, You know when you buy raspberries and then you put them in the fridge 
you go upstairs, you do something, you come down, and they have mold on them. Mm. You know, and it's not actually that quick, but it feels like that. That it happens in a 12-hour window where it's like, either you're eating these raspberries now, or they're done. So mold is your gripe. But specific to raspberries. Okay, raspberries. Because other mold I can understand. If you're irresponsible, mold will develop. But with raspberries, I'm being very responsible. So you have empathy for all non-raspberry mold. But when it comes to raspberries, mold has gone too far. It's gone too far. Yeah. Yeah, that's a gripe. I would categorize that under G for gripes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.